Good morning, listeners. Sorry we are a few minutes late this morning. Everybody's running late. It's yeah. freezing out there. It's five degrees. <laughs> and here. Yeah, I got delayed by public transport, so yeah, unfortunately I'm a few minutes late. Usually I'm here in the studio ten minutes before yes, the program. Yes, not good so. enough, to, um, Jacob. People are waiting to listen to the news. Mm-hmm. Anyway, good morning. And uh, we've got lots of news this morning. Um, well, got fit. well, we can tell you what's um, coming up. We've got a sort of a, almost like an Indigenous-themed um, program today. Um, yeah. We've got um, Kobe, um, who's uh, going to be running for council as a ca- in, for the council in Ballarat. Um, we have Les Thomas, and um, then we also have Ken Canning from Sydney. So it should be we should be up for a pretty interesting program, especially in light of the Dondale um, abuses. Abuses. Um, and in terms of the latest news, um, I was actually live streamed last night um, bits of it. I, I wasn't able to watch all of it, but um, Jeremy Corbyn um, was live streaming his sort of ten point sort of program. Oh, that's like, um, he kind of like you know review basically talked about all the kind of things he promises to do um, when he, if he was elected as the leader of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. the Labor government. Some of the things included addressing, you know, the um, question of homelessness. Yes. He promised to invest into more public housing. And actually what was most interesting, fortunately I actually haven't read the whole program, but this is from what I saw. The most interesting was he was actually addressing the issue of domestic violence and of course, he also wanted to uh, address the issues of sexism and sexual violence um, to the root, to where it begins, and in the education system. And he actually had a talked about a number of policy ideas related to education, um, such as having you know classes on affirmative consent in high schools, which I thought was quite great. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to live stream the whole thing. Her Dennis came in. I wonder if he knows um, more about it. He's a big Jeremy Corbyn fan. Come on, uh, Dennis, onto the mic and let's do this. Okay, Dennis is about to leave us, which is very sad. But well, not, ju- not right now. <laughs> <laughs> not right now, actually, but... Uh, In a couple of weeks. Yes, indeed. Yes, I know. It's going to be very sad when you go. But anyway, now, uh, J- Jacob was talking about the 10-point program that Jeremy Corbyn was talking about. Did you have oh, a yes. chance to watch it? Yes, well, um, fortunately, no, but I do know. But some of the key policies there that, that I have read about, one is uh, one million new homes for Britain. Yep. And where I think I'm pretty sure he's taking a cue from uh, Comrade Hugo Chavez, who, yeah. <laughs> who implemented <laughs> can't who help himself then. exactly <laughs> who, who implemented a massive public housing uh, construction program in Venezuela and built one million homes uh, mm-hmm. within the space of about I think it was about six years, six or seven years. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Oh, uh, the the ban on zero hour contracts, also known as labor hire, well, or basically provisions for labor hire, so basically banning casualization or, ba- or getting rid of casualization and insecure work, mm. as we know, eventually. That's, uh, that, that's another very and strong... And this was also part of his program, as I presume, as well, because he's um, previously talked about it as well, but did he, um, in the program, does he talk about the nationalization of the railways? Yes, he does. In fact, in fact, one of the... Uh, uh, well, but there's a particular part of the railway, which the south, uh, the southern rail, which t- talks about especially. That's uh, the it's the part of the British rail was which while being privatized uh, in the early 90s, if I'm not mistaken, 
uh, it was po- actually turned out to be, well, now it's turned out to be one of the most expensive and, you know, inefficient, uh, rail parts of the, uh, of the UK. I've, I've actually been there myself. I was, uh, I traveled on a train. Oh, well, I, when I lived in the UK, lived in London, I, I took a train from London to Portsmouth, which is in, the, in, in the southeast and, from what I was told, it was, it, that was actually it was actually one of the most expensive journeys to take, mm. thanks to the miracle of privatization and neo uh, neoliberalism. Yeah. So his is a so he, he nationalise the whole thing. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, we have a few minutes before our first interview. Um, um, Dennis, um, can you give us sort of an update on well the the positive outcome of what happened in the coals um, poll the fresh? Oh yes. Yeah. Well, there's absolutely well e- e- there's everything positive about it. Yeah, <laughs> everything's um, positive about it. Usually, we're in a radical news, we always talk about the negative. So it'll be good to have a talk about a positive news story Dark for a change. Money. Yes, it's indeed. Positive, yes, indeed. Yes. Well, for those uh, listeners who who didn't get a chance to hear about this magnificent event last week from um, uh, July 27th, uh, the 650. Warehousing workers at Paula Fresh in the cold storage warehouse in uh, Melbourne's West in Truganina took out an indefinite strike action early in the morning. So uh, early in the morning, they uh, they went out to uh, uh, picket and blockade the entrance to the warehouse, which is which is managed by a company named Paula Fresh, which provides calls with uh, all the. Logistics and storage facilities for its uh, for, for chilled, just for chilled, chilled products food, and yeah. chilled foods. And uh, the picket, uh, the the picket lasted for about uh, well, it, it only lasted um, uh, for approximately two days before the because coal's management caved in into the demands of the uh, of the of striking workers. And the demands were actually quite simple. I mean, uh, the worker, all the workers were, were asking for was a three dollar pay rise to a. Um, uh, match the uh, average uh, award award rate for this, this uh, for this type of work, and they were they were asking for um, a re- reduction in the level of job insecurity, so in the reduction in the level of labor hire uh, uh, contracts, you know, transferring those t- uh, jobs to uh, permanent contracts, and ensuring that you know uh, future uh, at least seventy percent thereabouts uh, of jobs and, and positions in the in the cold storage facility would be on a permanent uh, secure. Yeah, there was a lot basis. about the temporary uh, hiring up here. Yeah, yes, wasn't yes, it? absolutely. It's just appalling. But it was it was really amazing. It wasn't just that. I mean, uh, the workers ended up winning um, with a four point seventy five percent annual pay rise for the next three years. So that will that's quite good. Yeah. Yes. Um they also end up winning 120 new um, you know s- secure permanent contracts on plus I think it was another 60 or 80 or so which w- yeah. would go on they would gain in the next uh, few months. And but more importantly I mean it only took about 72 hours from the moment that the strike uh, was put into action. I know there's a lot of kerfuffle about coal shelves being empty. Exactly, and stuff, wasn't exactly, there? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a second there I thought I was looking at uh, pictures from Venezuela. Yes. <laughs> But True. Make the connection. <laughs> <laughs> but no, 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 no. But really helped to demonstrate, you know, the enormous economic and and political power of organized working class. That's right. You know, within, Absolutely. You know, 650 workers in a one, one single warehouse brought down one of the one of this nation's biggest uh, companies, corporations, to its knees. Mm. And talking about workers' power, yesterday the Victorian um, um, Association of Public Health. Um, association 
uh, won a huge victory. Mm, um, they yes. went on strike because they've been negotiating for a while. It's another EBA dispute. And I spoke to the um, Secretary Craig um, McGregor, and he was exhausted. He'd been negotiating for two days, almost sleepless. They couldn't even speak. It was so bad. <laughs> oh. So we hopefully will interview him next Friday oh, to good. fill in the, um, the details. But that was an enormous victory. The physios and OTs and so on, you know, they, they fought very hard. They hardly um, mentioned, they, they rarely sort of go into the sort of disputes or, or take action. Yeah. But I'm, this time, I'm, Yeah, I'm amazed. Yeah, yeah, I'm amazed. Actually, these days, actually, <laughs> these last several days, you know, from starting from middle of uh, last week till now, I feel like there's been like four or five in significant industrial actions. Even I've had trouble keeping up with all of them. We've got Polar Fresh. Yeah, and you keep up with all of them, don't you? Yeah. Uh, We've got Polar Fresh. Uh, we've got the CUB ongoing dispute. We've got, you know, the, the we've got the health workers striking. We've got the um, yeah, the health workers striking and winning a contract. We've got the teachers as well, the yes. uh, independent education union. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very busy, busy time, isn't it? And it's mm. good that they're winning them, and maybe because of the Labour Party in Victoria as well. Possibly, I don't know. We can talk about it. A bit well, there is a bit. Uh, there, I, f- I feel like th- we, there's now a bit of a bit more breathing space and window of opportunity, considering how weak the uh, mm. Liberal yeah, government, yeah. the Liberal and Coalition government, really has become in the aftermath of the elections. Yeah. Okay. Now we have our first interviewee on the phone, Kobe. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Now, How are you? Good, good, good. Good, uh, good to have you online. Um, how do we pronounce your surname? Uh, it's Bunny, like the rabbit. <laughs> bunny, like yeah. the rabbit. I'm just like a rabbit. Good to have you online, um, Kobe. Now, you're doing something radical out in Ballarat. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, well, um, I'm running um, in the... At a local election on October 22nd as independent. Um, oh, it was, it, I, it wasn't a decision made lightly. Um, it's kind of a decision made based on when you kind of get backed into a corner and there's a lot, you're not getting answers or you're not being listened to uh, enough. So you have to do something yourself. Now, t- t- start from telling us about yourself. You're an Aboriginal person. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, so I've got, um, family from, ranging from Gundjamara all, all the way up to Adamathawe. Wonderful. Um, and you're a very young person? Yeah, uh, well, I've been told I'm a young person, but I don't feel like that, but I'm 26. That, that's young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dennis here is showing some solidarity with you. I think he's 26 <laughs> too. <laughs> that's good and that's very brave. Good. <coughs> Now, uh, what prompted you to um, uh, stand? You said you're being backed in the corner. What do you mean by that? What, what actually happened? Well, uh, it's just over um, this cancelled term. Um, the, the city of Ballarat has um, taken some... Some of the council members have done some pretty things that will be quite offensive towards the Wadarung people here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they asked the Wadarung people to make a submission for a suburb name. Um, uh, it seemed a respectful thing to do from the city of Ballarat. Um, and they came back with Mullawalla, which was in um, uh, in re- regards to the last known King Billy of Wadawurrung people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the last recognised king um, by the um, by the city of Ballarat here. Um, then the, the city of Ballarat went on to have a nasty debate about the pronunciation, and some of the council members weighed in on that. And the debate um, really seen some of our uh, some of the elders here 
not even just our, our Wadarung elders, but seeing them really dismayed. And we all know that grieving feeling, what we go through when something goes wrong, like with the Dondale, the, the tension. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we all get that grieving. And, you know, like every time we've got that beautiful beacon of hope that something's going to happen. But um, we should know now that it doesn't, but we're so beautiful that we always have that hope. But the only way we're going to get it is by getting it ourselves, kind of. Absolutely. You've got to fight for it, don't you? Yeah, well, I, I think so, and um, I think that um, for my family who is going through some goes through issues like this is a reality. This isn't just a um, a story or or a, or a cause to jump on. This is actually a reality. People are actually in hospital. People are actually committing suicide. People, um, we're we're losing our young people. We're losing our old people way too young too. Yeah. Our old people are not old enough. That's right. And we don't don't even realise that sometimes because you don't go outside the community and like when you do realise and you hear of ninety three year old a man and he's still going good and you think, Oh, Jesus, they live old, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have a I have a question for you, Kobe, because um, I've, I've known you um, as quite a long-time campaigner for equal marriage and LGBTI rights, and I was wondering, yeah. is that going to be a, a big part of your campaign in Ballarat for council? Um, so I think, um, I think in Ballarat, look, we've got, we have had a lot of progress. Um, so I founded Equal Love Ballarat. It was then known as Regional No Discretion in um, September 2009, and we held our first rally on Valentine's Day uh, in 2010. And um, we've been kind of going on since then and um, being a bit ever-present and kind of we've kind of branched out into local government stuff to uh, get to get our local government here to support a no-homophobia campaign um, and then try to act on it by community consultation. But then again, we've been backed in a corner. Um, funding got cut from our youth group. We, it's the only group we had um, that was had any kind of funding um, Right when we were calling for funding for a uh, 18 plus youth group, because oh, no, it's not a youth group, sorry, but um, because there is nothing, there's actually nothing here for the LGBTIQ community. And there's a recent study that said, um, I think it was 73% of gay men leave their own towns to come out. Um, like Ballarat is probably losing a lot of good talent, and I know that because I know some of the people who left Ballarat and the things and the amazing things they've gone on to do in the city. And you say we're here doing it here with us in their hometown with their family, and they felt safe and they felt uh, accepted enough to do so, then that would be a benefit for us and them and their family. Hmm. And um, what sort of support do you think you'll get? Because I'm not sure. What's, how big is the community there, Aboriginal community? And um, what's the response so far to your nomination? Uh, I've actually had a quite an overwhelming response. Um, I wasn't expe- I didn't uh, know how people would take to the idea of me running for council. Um, but when, as soon as I announced it, like I've had, I've been in, inundated with phone calls from support. Um, I even was lucky enough to have an endorsement from Pauline Pants down herself. Not Pauline Hanson, thank God. But <laughs> just, I just, I just, am I hearing right <laughs> here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, like I've, had, I've been lucky enough to. Uh, but over the years, I just haven't been involved in uh, indigenous campaigns or LGBTIQ. Um, Ballarat is close to my heart, so um, I've been involved with domestic violence. I've been involved with. Uh, I, I work in disability, so that's close to my heart too. And my younger brother goes. He's got um, disabilities himself, and he goes to a special school. So seeing access here in Ballarat is is close to my heart, and I've always been campaigning for this. Um, I remember um, J- Jacob. Would, would probably recall Ali Shadri, um when he was being deported 
back to Pakistan. Yes. Um, when he didn't wasn't even going there, that was something that um, for me I just felt that was so wrong, and mm. just, and and I actively spoke up, and I will continually do that. And um, it's not about who someone is or if they're black or if they're uh, LGBTIQ. It's about actually everyone's got something, and everyone's important to someone, and that means that no one is important. In the, than anyone else, we're all just as important as each other, and that means we all matter. So we should treat each other like that we all matter. It's respect, and, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't and actually. To be honest with you, Ballarat, um, we are a proud town. Um, we're very uh, territorial almost, um, but our representation on council quite isn't right. Like I'm seeing more rich people on the council than I know in Ballarat in general. You know, like, and it's not that the fact that they're rich, but it's the fact that there's and out of touch like when you can live in a bubble of a different reality um i've seen it myself um i've i've like been homeless for while, while i've been doing campaigning um i've been homeless as well for three years um after living in domestic violent relationship um and there's no and access for men to go into um to get any help after leaving a domestic violent relationship when you're a victim is quite dismal and there's nothing uh, and a recent royal inquiry said that we need some more um we need actually like the statistics in lgbtiq relationships with domestic violence is almost as high as it is with women and yes. we've been having such an important conversation with domestic violence with women and so my people like my mother the people i grew up, i didn't grow up in the best circumstances and i've learned and i unfortunately maybe learned some bad traits picking up and so I've had to try to retrain myself in that way of trying to pick up men that like, not, not going to control me because I was kind of that's what I thought was normal and it took me some time to try and get to that but the only way I got to get to that was by speaking to a psychologist just before I turned 25 at a youth mental health clinic and then after I turned overage I could no longer go no more um, so I've been lucky enough to have some support from the Ballarat District Aboriginal Cooperative, but what about other people who aren't so lucky? That's right. That's right. The, the people don't understand that, um, you know, within a, a gay relationship, the conditions are no different from the normal, what they call heterosexual normal um, yeah. couples out there. And, and the dynamics are very similar between any couple, really, whether they are gay or not. Um, yeah. I'm a maternal child yeah, health yeah. nurse, and I... I and, have, and it really does hurt. Yeah, and it I've come really across domestic violence in, in gay relationships. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and and actually, and like, we all heard this, like, we, we talk about equal love for equal marriage rights, and we all talk about how our love is just the same, and it is just the same, and, like, when you get punched and stuff, that hurts for a second, but the thing that actually really hurts you is you really want that person to just love you you and um for some reason you feel like you can't get that from them like you're doing something wrong and for, and then you go through it and it's a whole cycle but you have to you don't even realize you're going through it mm. until you're out of it um but you were trying to get that love from them but you're not going to get them but if anyone is listening who's going through that just love yourself and um just like be safe mm. okay kirby with with these elections what what do you hope to achieve say if you win what do you hope to achieve? Um, well, I hope well, one of the first things I'll be doing is um, trying to uh, create partnerships between council members and elders um, from the Indigenous community and the Wadawurrung community. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's just a good thing because at NAIDOC, 
um, I asked a question to the councillors, and um, I asked how do they uh, equate themselves to become uh, culturally aware or know anything about the Indigenous community locally, and there wasn't not, not much really good answers except for friends if theirs happened to be Aboriginal. But um, so I thought, like, so I think that's a really important thing. Um, during this election campaign, um, I've been speaking with uh, other candidates. Um, I've been extending Olive Branch because I want to try and get them some, uh, get them in a room and do some Skillshare, all mm. of us together as well, because one of us is going to win that. And whoever wins that, it's important that they've got some knowledge. Mm. Okay, that's so, wonderful. Um, you know, in, we will be able to support you in any uh, media stuff from here. Um, so if you want to talk about anything important or something comes up during the election campaign, give us a hoi and we can discuss yeah. it over the air so people can be aware of what you're doing and if you're holding a function yeah. of some kind, a fundraiser, let us know. We can announce yeah, it no, for you. And, and Greenleaf, um, my favourite, I just had some, I had fun up in Sydney at um, the Resistance Centre out there visiting and um, having a tour and meeting Jim and the team up there. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Always, uh, always excited to come on, on solo. Okay. Thanks, uh, thanks. Thank you very much, Kobe, and, and uh, good luck. And we'll be no, in thank touch. Thanks. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. All right, bye. Bye. Okay. That was Kobe Bunny, as in Bunny Rabbit. <laughs> Okay, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Green Left Radio. And in station we have Dennis, Jacob and Alita taking you through to 8.30. And just before we uh, interviewed Kobe, I was reading the uh, statement given by Rod Sims, a chairperson of the ACCC. And it's interesting, he's now totally opposed to privatization. And here is um, what he continues to say. Sim is a, a true believer in capitalism, I might add, and this is what he says. Quote, I have been a strong advocate of privatization for probably 30 years. I believe it enhances economic efficiency. When you meet people in the street and they say, I don't want privatization because it boosts prices, um, and you dismiss them, recent examples suggest they are right. End quote. So what becomes clear is that the policies like privatization are not being adopted because they're economically or partially sound, but because they fit, they fit a particular ideology. So what he has come to at a rather late stage is <laughs> a realization that privatization doesn't benefit the people. Did well, I say something? <laughs> uh, I don't think he, well, I don't think he's come to a realization. No, he just, he's, he was just being forced to admit he was just sort of, you know, forced to admit that. Because um, uh, I'm sure anybody who's ever, uh, who anybody who ever advocated uh, for privatization never believed uh, that privatization was meant to serve the people, so to speak, except for, yeah. ex- except for the for the one percent. Privatization is a, basically privatization is a, a form uh, a form of a form of robbery. From the from the public, the public is never consulted about any about the sell-off of any public assets to uh, to private companies. Every single um, uh, state asset public um, uh, enterprise, every single public um, organization that have been sold off, privatized in, in Australia in the last uh, thirty odd year, years or so, have all been 
you know, all of the Senate projects were built with, with the money of the, uh, of the, of the working of the people, class. Yeah, and they exactly. never received any of it. And, uh, bi- and built by the working class. Built by the working class, financed by the working class, and um, it belongs to the working class. So every single, every, every, every privatization that has, that has taken place here in Australia has, you know, last, uh, say, last uh, 30 odd years must be reversed unconditionally. You know, once we have a, a genuine left-wing socialist uh, government in, in parliament, which will be able to <laughs> yes. carry out these, uh, these, uh, these Measures, policies. Yes, yes. Um, did any of you read the Firefighters Agreement? It's been we ta- can we can read it right now. I think we should because um, <laughs> it's an important uh, battle, and it was all yes. you know uh, in the front page over the election period, mm, and now yeah. the elections over, it's all gone quiet. Nobody talks about it, oh, which yes. I think is a disgrace. Well, well it's just a cynical um, from the Liberal government, it's just a cynical way of just winning votes um, or like a political Muddying football. Muddying the waters, actually. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Setting workers against worker. Within the, the using the firefighters as political football, exactly. as Peter Marshall likes to say, the, yes. um, the state secretary for, uh, of the uh, firefighters union. Okay, yeah. I mean, the, the final agreement, it says here, the proposed CFA and enterprise agreement, and the, and the firefighters actually voted on it. Uh, the agreement said that the, in the event of a fire, fire in an area covered by an in integrated, integrated station, seven professional firefighters are to be dispatched to the fire. Opponents of the agreement claim this means that volunteer scouts start fire, fighting the fire until the seven professional firefighters arrive. This is not the case. Mm-hmm. So that has been well and truly been settled. So the the claims by Turnbull that he will defend the CFA volunteers against this non-existent threat seems likely that his real objections to the agreement covering topics he believes should be left solely to the management to decide, such as uh, minimum staffing levels, rostering, and the number of firefighters to be sent to the fire. So really, Malcolm Turnbull knows nothing about firefighting. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why he is poking his nose, nose into it unless it's for political reasons, and that has been made clear. Um, so now they've gone, gone about voting on the agreement, and they seem to have settled it. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Marshall's ill, otherwise we could have um, interviewed him. Yes. He's not well, so he wasn't available for comments. So this would have been unfortunate. Mm. Yes. Ah, yes, another news story. In, um, this is also in the latest um, Green Left Weekly, um, an article written by um, Zebedee Parks. Um, the government um, titled Government Reinstates um, Deportations to Offshore co- um, Camps and reports on um, a recent deportation that happened in um, July 26. Uh, a young Sudanese man called Wal- um, who we will call Walid um, was for- forcibly removed by police by a van. Um, he... Um, What's significant about this is um, he was he's, there's plans to deport him back to Christmas Island, and he is poss- he is the first asylum seeker to be deported as part of the High Court case in February that ruled in favour of the government having the power to transform transfer not transform um, asylum seekers to offshore detention centres, which then led to the um, to the um, spark of the of the Let Them Stay movement, where thousands of people came in, out in support of the 267 refugees set to be transferred, um, which then accumulated into sort of a lot of the core struggles in Lady Clientele Hospital in Brisbane. Um, and um, Zebedee kind of says that, you know, in um, in a post-election climate where Pauline Hanson and far-right racist rhetoric is given a platform and the coalition and its right-wing allies are stepping up their attacks on welfare and trying to introduce more anti-terror laws. Refugee scapegoating could be back on the agenda. And, of course, this is a, 
this fear of deportation is a complete injustice and it's um and and it's an integral like you know it's an integral part of the whole detention system and you know we won't be able to stop these um deportations unless we can end the whole mandatory detention process as this article suggests and um also <clears throat> i try to get hold of um, a lawyer to talk about the changes in the border protection act which um makes it illegal for professionals to reveal or even record any abuses. Um, I mean, as a nurse, I am obliged to record all my observations and assessments in writing so that if if the case goes to court, um, it's written as it was at the time of examination Mm. or assessment. Now, the the new act, Act is making it all illegal. So we will be interviewing a lawyer from the Fitzroy Legal Service about this uh, because it is tied integrally to the abuses that are happening in Manus um, and uh, in Nuro and the detention centres that we've seen over the last week and a half at Dondale. Um, so she, she'll give us some detailed information about it. So that's one thing uh, people should um, look forward to. Um, but in this Green Left Weekly, we have got um, two articles on the on the Dondale issue. One is the actual atrocities that happened in Dondale, um, and the issue of you know covering it up with the the slogan, "It's law and order." It's it's a security issue. So the the, the ideology, the 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 camouflage is this is a law and order question, mm. um, whereas it is not really not with children. Yeah. Well, particularly, I'm sure you may have heard there's a particularly disgusting example in the in the Australian, actually, a very sort of disgusting cartoon, very outright mm. racist, actually, um, which sort of showed um, depicted sort of um, a picture of a policeman or some kind of policeman, an Aboriginal child, and then there's a father who's sort of portrayed as sort of a deadbeat father, yes, drunk, um, and it caught the message is um, that. It's actually the ultimate message. I think what it's trying to say is that these children who were sent to um, to detain these sort of um, Dondale will um, need to learn some personal responsibility. Therefore, they deserve to have the treatment that they. Mm-hmm. And it's basically normalized. The, the cartoon I would argue actually normalizes that kind of abuse, and is that kind of like disgraceful? Racist. Such a thing got exactly. printed in um, in the main in the mainstream media, and. Um, for I don't know the uh, you know this was uh, widely announced, but uh, Giles, the chief minister of Northern Territory, made a statement um, yesterday saying that these children are actually mongrels and they need to be put away. That's mm. what he said. Yeah. And I'm thinking, where is this guy from? Which planet is he from? Or doesn't he have any children? Mm. You know, anyone with children, anyone who's got anything to do with children would find that sort of statement abhorrent. Well, I, I, as someone who works in childcare, I'll say the worst children I've worked with, I would never, ever, I would fight to not send them to juvenile detention there, no matter what, how bad their behaviour would get. That's right, you work with children, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely abhorrent, and, 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 but it's justified on the basis of racism that these children are lesser than than Anglo-Saxon children. And I think that's uh, what, what really what, what we've seen with the case of, you know, you know, of refugee children being in detention the last yes. several years. It really helps to demonstrate exactly what it's, uh, you know, what being inside uh, this kind of an institution does 
to their mentality, yes, it does. does their behavior, and does that just does the the general uh, mental health. So these, you know, these basically. Uh, the, the juvenile detention centers, much like the, the much like the, the, the detention camps, hmm. uh, they basically meant that they're basically almost designed to manufacture uh, uh, violence. Uh, they're basically designed to to to, to turn those kids violent. Hmm. In, In my profession, we talk about the circle of violence, and when children observe violence. They, they then emulate it. Mm-hmm. So if you if you um, are violent towards a child, but the child when it grows up copies that behavior, and that cycle of violence continues persistently throughout the lives of multiple generations, and that's been known to people in this profession or any any anyone who works in the area of children for decades. It's not new. But what I really have been thinking about is that the the sort of abuse that has been perpetrated on on young people and and even adults. It seems that Peter, Peter Dutton is setting the benchmark for it mm-hmm. by doing what he he is doing to the people in Manus and Nauru. Um, the rest of Australia is following that benchmark. In fact, the rest of the world is looking to that sort of treatment. Um, has been given to refugees in those two islands um, and is being copied for, for in Europe they've been talking about copying that sort of treatment exactly, of refugees yeah. and um, also here it seems that you know they may be depending on having desensitized the population through the news to such atrocities that's that's it's, you know Dutton is as far as I'm concerned is one of the perpetrators of abuse against a whole reign, whole age mm. group of, of people, whether it's children, newborns, um, young adults, uh, older people, the whole lot. And it's an d- absolute disgrace, what we call civilized modern society, doing this to people. is barbarism as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, let's have an idea. I'm getting angry. <laughs> Green Left Radio. Okay, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and we are on to the next interview, and this is Les Thomas. Good morning, Les. Good morning. Welcome to 3CR. Thank you very much. Thanks to 3CR for the constant support. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And this is Green Left Radio. We enjoy your music. (laughs) (laughs) I meant to bring your CD. Yeah, I I think we've played your music Uh, on our program before, actually. uh, (laughs) I forgot. I I put it on the table. I I was saying uh, online that I love the smell of solidarity in the morning. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's a nice one. You should make a song on that one. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay, Les, you, you belong to a group um, that supports Aboriginal um, rights and so on, but with this new wave of abuse that's coming, I'm wondering if you could fill us Be in. Be careful there, Lalitha, sorry, I, I'm Aboriginal myself. Yes, of course. Uh, going back to Wurundjeri country via my family line. Yep. So, yeah, I answer to uh, my local elders, uh, particularly Auntie Diane Kerr and Bill Nicholson. Yes. And... Um, these are the people who I take my uh, direct instructions from, uh, and they're giving uh, all encouragement to basically do uh, whatever, you know, for me to do whatever I can to stop 
what's going on, but also that extends to uh, the rest of the country uh, of Wurundjeri. And um, we hope that, you know, we're starting to actually see something change at the moment. I feel it from, you know, Darwin to Brisbane and, mm. and places around that there's change in the wind at the moment because this is really the last straw for so many of us when we see our kids in danger like this. Uh, it's our obligation uh, as Indigenous people to act. So it's not a it's not a um, sort of excursion. It's a life. Absolutely. Uh, mm. It's a life and death matter for many people. Um, yeah. And the, the the Aboriginal community has suffered what over two hundred years of mm. absolute torture, I reckon. And the traumas yep. is. Yep. You know, has always been there, never been recognised yeah. and addressed, and now it's come to the fore. Um, yeah. I mean, like the fact that 25 years ago they did a uh, study on black—not study—the Royal Commission, the Black Royal Commission into the Black Death in Custody, and the recommendations of only a small part implemented. Um, so yeah. I guess this is a result of that lack of respect to those recommend recommendations. Um, as far yeah. as I can see. But uh, tell us more about what are the actions that you're involved in place, Les? So um, I, I, I guess I've grown up um, doing a lot of different activism over, you know, the lifetime so far. But uh, in recent times, I've been doing a lot of uh, work with um, SOS Black Australia. So, you know, um, helping to coordinate and organise and design and and uh, do social media and speak here and there and um, work with others around the country trying to uh, come up with longer-term strategies. So discussing with uh, the mobs through the Kimberley and, and Pilbara and stuff at the moment because it's an ongoing campaign. Uh, and, you know, with, with what's come up in Dondale, um, it's um, a matter of I've already established uh, quite strong connections through... Uh, previous activism with a lot of different networks via trade unions, uh, civil liberties organisations, uh, human rights groups and so on. So uh, part of the job of trying to really, um, you know, build a movement together with others is to just forge those links of activity uh, and, and strengthen those links as we go. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess... Uh, at this time, uh, given that my own brother is a torture survivor, given my um, family's uh, inherited traumas and so on, um, you know, this has opened up a wound for all of us, mm. uh, all of the community, and, you know, that that's not something that I expect people necessarily to understand, and, like, in relative terms, you know, there's no way that I'm close to copying at the worst. I mean, the kids in Dondale are the ones that God. we're thinking about. Yeah, it's you know, ghastly, it's, yes. It, it's, the, it's the kids right there that, you know, should tell everybody all that they need to know that the situation is so intolerable, so brutal, and so systemically racist that, you know, this is but, you know, the tip of the iceberg uh, when we think about you know, what goes on in other parts of the country, you know, all over the place, including right here uh, on Wurundjeri Country in Victoria, you know, and those are the, you know, direct words from uh, Uncle Bill Nicholson, the Wurundjeri elder who, you know, I've been in communication with quite a lot. And yeah, we're feeling it, but I think there's a growing sense of, um, 
you know, a change in the wind and also new new ways of uh, coming together, I think, over time. And I don't pretend that any of that is an easy thing to do. And, you know, like, uh, I think that it's a matter of proceeding with a degree of gentleness and care for one another, which I'm trying my best to do. Um, because, you know, uh, uh, coming from a, a fragmented, uh, you know, culture, it, it's one of those ones where we have to really consciously uh, try to learn and, and do the best we can. Well, certainly that's what I'm doing on a daily basis, but I have support from my elders and I have support from, you know, a lot of amazing people uh, coming in. But it's not just about one person, it's about, you know, how can we all work together to not necessarily rely on a small number of people who are holding the line. It's a major concern, but I think, you know, we've seen through our history, through uh, leaders like Chicka Dixon, for example, who was a great organiser, you know, and a great activist. You know, he was schooled in the ways of building a real movement for change. And, you know, he and the likes, you know, the Foley's and, and uh, the only Isabel Coes, like, they made history and, and they shook it up. And I think that, yeah, our obligation as Indigenous people is to really uh, carry that forward and lead uh, because this has to be led by Aboriginal people. Yeah, absolutely. It's thrown, it's thrown a lot of us together who don't necessarily know each other as well as we should get, but still, you know, we don't get to pick the situation. We get to pick what we do in it. And, uh, you know, I, I send my respect to everybody who has been active so far and has committed to basically sign on to say, okay, we're in a moment in time now. Community's under a threat. Pauline Hanson's about to come into the Senate. We've got, you know, battlefronts all over the place. Mm. The word treaty is on the table in Victoria, but it looks like they're going to try to give us a Mickey Mouse or watered-down version of the treaty instead of the sovereign treaty. Mm. So I think now is the time for us to really come to terms with how to apply a lot of these concepts in a practical way. So when Auntie Diane Kerr, you know, Wurundjeri Elder, sovereign of this land, says this has to stop now, that's the sovereign instruction, mm. right? That, that's, that's absolutely the, the commitment uh, that I take as duty, and that extends, and, 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 and we basically... We don't talk about, you know, things like sovereignty in abstract terms. We actually apply them. So, you know, like Larrakia mob up in Darwin, you know, the land uh, where, where the Dundale Centre is, like, they've been having, you know, a lot of fights, you know, in recent times. And, you know, they're really having to apply um, the, the sovereign principles. And, yeah, we need, we need clear understanding, I think, to, to build... Um, to build an effective uh, change because, yeah, without practical uh, sovereignty expressions of it, you know, uh, I think it's quite hard for people to uh, to give real understanding and weight to it. Like, actions determine things. You know, it's not just a matter of words. It, it's what you do, and it's what you do for the cause, and it's what you do for your people and country, and everybody can do uh, good stuff. But, yeah led by Aboriginal people, using the wisdom and lessons of the past. You know, people like Vincent Lingiari, who softly spoke his story, 
you know, there's no rush necessarily. We're going to do it. We're actually on a long-term path to turning it around with understanding and that sort of strength. You know, we don't let the media uh, tell us what to think. I think, we, yeah. We figure out between ourselves first how we feel about this and what we're going to do, and it extends out from there. Hmm. The key thing, I think the message from there is being led by Aboriginal people. And that's, that's a concept that is not understood very well by the non-Aboriginal community, as well as it's feared by some non-Aboriginal communities or people. Um, that, that's a discussion that's got to be had, I suppose, in the broader community. And, you know, um, the community has to explain to the rest what it means, what, what is a concept, what is this concept, you know, what, in, in practical terms, in reality. Uh, so, because so you, in practical terms, <coughs> like, I'll, I'll tell you how it would play out. If we, you know, the structural racism is a preventative barrier that's to right. this playing out, right? Mm. But imagining this, this um, barrier of institutional racism did not exist when um, the, the local elder of the land says, this is what we do, Effectively, that's what you do. Um, you know, that's a sovereign principle. You, you, you obey the word of the owners of the house that you're in. We're all in this house, right? So basically, you act with respect in that house. And you take on, uh, that, that sort of basic, um, you know, understanding that, you know, this is Aboriginal land, right? And um, it, is, it is actually incumbent on all people on that land to respect um, the instructions of the owners and custodians of that land. Um, so, you know, this is like a pretty big concept, I guess, yes. for a lot of uh, people to take on. Mm. But it's not saying that people don't do what people do. It's just saying that they do that while respecting true custodians and their sovereign right to basically determine what happens within their own land. Mm. It's, it's a concept of land being owned by a traditional community as opposed to the way modern society pushes private ownership. That's where the... the well, it's also in direct conflict with, you know, uh, the, the sort of... Yeah, it's in conflict with the systems that's right. of uh, social order and capital and everything else. Mm. But, you know, what we're talking about is not, like, necessarily transforming uh, everything in one hit. We're talking about accumulated strength and understanding over time because, you know, you need to go through, you need to, um, you know, pace it out a bit. You know, you don't go to um, uh, the gym first thing and try to lift... Uh, you know, 300 kilograms above your head. You know. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, you, it's a tough You've got one. to apply in a practical and purposeful way, I believe, your abilities. And, I, and I'm not speaking for anyone when I'm saying this stuff. Uh, I'm giving you, uh, you know, my, my way of explaining it in accordance with the instructions that, you know, the elders that I'm answerable to have, have told me to go forth and do. But, yeah, I think that... The Vincent Lingari, uh, Chicka Dixon, um, you know, other sort of uh, methods of actually forming powerful, effective, over time kind of um, relationships is important because you know I, I, I um, you know ha- had limited time with you know one of my sort of role models in 
um, what we're doing here really is uh, Ray Jackson, who a lot of listeners to 3CR would know about. So he was a Wiradjuri uh, man and uh, lifelong campaigner against um, uh, death in custody and so on. Mm. And you know, he, he had incredible stamina. Um, and he had incredible commitment to his people and, and especially kids, you know, who, you know, he helped to educate and basically instill, um, tr- you know, strong values and culture. But he didn't get a whole lot of support. And I think, yeah, people do need support. They need active support. You know, they need the kind of support that will amount to actual concrete, um, you know, change in the world where daily racism, which is like the acid rain falling on our people on a daily basis, that, that just needs to actually be uh, switched off and, yeah, I don't have a utopian uh, you know, idea that this happens necessarily quickly, but you know, without an awareness of that purpose, um, we're in a much worse position. If we know uh, what we're trying to head towards then that makes us powerful and I think that you know we can be uh, we will be a force for change, and I'm hearing, you know, young people step up. Um, uh, young fellow by the name of Will Austin, uh, for example, whose whose father Neville uh, spoke extremely uh, movingly at the rally. Uh, young Will also spoke at that rally, and you know he comes from a place of deep, deep insight into uh, what institutional racism and violence is. Yes. And he can actually um, use his skills to to project it out to people, you know. Mm. And like what I'm seeing around me in the conversations I'm having is people putting pen to paper or applying the skill they have mm. to basically send out the signal, you know, this is this is it. It's action time. It's not mm. a dress rehearsal. Yep. You know, a lot of people have been stuck in a routine. Uh, they might, you know, sometimes it's, it's ordinary to get sort of comfortable within a certain routine, but yeah, inevitably, you know, every time I go out for a walk around the block in the morning, I notice changes, and, and that's the nature of, uh, of what we do. So we, we try to just direct our energy to, to, to the cause, uh, going by what the elders are telling us to do. Um, I believe that, you know, that there can be trust from, you know, surrounding and supportive communities. But that's one of those ones where if people can have some faith that, you know, the wisdom of the elders and the generations that are coming up is actually, um, you know, something to put your faith into as opposed to thinking that you know better. Uh, because, you know, the fact is... Uh, we've always cared for the land via our, you know, direct line, and it will always be our ongoing duty uh, to be within that role, whether dominant society accepts that or not. Mm. Yes, I, I um, um, you know, I'm just trying to imagine the graphic um, analogy you just, you just made, um, the the racism poured on to the community is like acid rain being poured on to people and you can get more graphic than that and you know people don't understand the pain of um, inflicting people with this racist treatment 
um, can understand it graphically with that analogy. I think it's excellent. Les, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been a pleasure, and yeah. that was very... Well, quickly, I'm, I'm encouraging people to, to build uh, the networks to get on board. Um, you know, yeah, this is a, a long-term uh, journey, yes. and um, we're, not, we're not about excluding people. We're about including people, but mm-hmm. yeah, with guidance from the elders... Uh, who know best <laughs> if I can of say course. that. Yes. I was going to ask you, what's uh, your next action? Um, Les, is anything happening in the recent future? Um, ne- next so week? We're, we're in a, we're in a um, regrouping and uh, strategy uh, situation at the moment. Um, I'm in contact with Matthew Bonson up, up in Darwin and his barrister, um, John Lawrence, who was on the Four Corners program the other week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it is an ongoing thing. So I encourage people to keep a lookout by the various Facebook pages, including uh, Stop Force Closure of Aboriginal Communities, um, Blackfellow Revolution Will Support It. Um, you've got the uh, Warriors, uh, the Aboriginal Resistance, who you know they've actually been um, change makers. They've used people power effectively to get rid of the commissioner. Um, yes. And, uh, I don't. I don't believe that. The changes that we've seen would have happened without leadership from Absolutely. Um, Mariki and the rest of the yes. young warriors of the Aboriginal resistance. And I think, you know, full credit and respect uh, is due. And it's an example. So, you know, we, we've got a lot of lessons locally. We've got a lot of other lessons from, you know, South Africa and, and the Philippines and other places that I believe might help to feed in and far up. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll start talking gently, carefully, respectfully with one another and make sure that we have a firm uh, basis of cultural strength and understanding to proceed and win. Thank you so much, Les, and we'll encourage all our listeners to keep an eye out on any future events on those websites and Facebook um, sites that you've mentioned. Thank thank you, Les, for being here. Thank you very much, Les. Great. Okay, bye. All right, now we are... Back on air, and this is 3CR, Glen Radio, and we are on to the announcements part of our program. Yes, indeed. So, uh, fr- well, Friday, well, today at 6.30 p.m., we'll, there'll be a film screening uh, taking, uh, taking place over in um, uh, the Sun Theatre in, in uh, Yarraville. It's, uh, screening is absolutely fabulous, which is a fundraiser for Hobson's Bay Refugee Network and West Welcome a Wagon. It's starting at 6.30pm uh, at Theatre in Yarraville. And the Songs Across the Sea is hosted by Warren Rice, also on the, um, on, on the topic of uh, supporting, re- supporting refugees. So this weekend in Melbourne, come join Amanda Lickers, Meg and Gabby Briggs, plus other speakers uh, talking about First Nations Frontline Action. They have been involved in from Turtle Island to Melbourne. You'll hear why it is important to always keep the fire burning. Acknowledge the land that this event is held on. It is on unceded colon nations and pay our respects. So the event is taking place on Sunday, August 7th, 2 to 4 p.m., 247 Flinders Lane, level 1 Melbourne. That's in the CBD. Uh, on uh, Monday, August the 8th, uh, there will be, um, uh, rally to uh, rally to replace Hazelwood. Um, so so uh, the taking place over in the um, at the at the, at the head, headquarters of uh, 
Mutsui, 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 at 120 Street in City. They are the owners of uh, Hazelwoods. That's at from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. So uh, come down, help, uh, help others get uh, get 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 the numbers to help replace the dirtiest coal-fired power station in the Southern Hemisphere. On uh, uh, Tuesday, August the 9th, uh, Socialist Alliance and the Green Left will be having a pamphlet launch, Racism, What It Is and How to Find It. Uh, so uh, so that will be on August 9th at 6.30pm. The speakers who have been announced were Eugenia Flynn, the Aboriginal writer, commentator and arts worker, and John Tully. And there's one more, um, mm. Hope Matambu, who's from South Africa, and mm. she's actually a presenter on 3CR on Tuesday breakfast as well, so yes. three speakers. Yes, yes, yeah, yes indeed. So uh, a very important, uh, very, very, very relevant uh, text, considering uh, the kind of political situation we come in. So uh, c- coming down on Tuesday, August 9th, to the Resistance Center, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street, in the CBD. Uh, and finally, a public meeting supporting the Kurds, uh, supporting the Kobane War Orphans School that's taking place on Thursday, August 11th at 6.30 p.m. at the Old Council Chambers in Trades Hall, corner of Ligon and Victoria Streets, uh, Carlton's South. It's organized by Australians for Kurdistan, and it's in support of the... Um, The, 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 the fundraising school. efforts yeah. uh, for for school in the Kobane regions or in Ro- of Rojava yeah, and, in and northern Syria or Kurdistan. That's right, and they're trying to raise four hundred thousand dollars to help build a school for war orphans in the city. So, please, um, for all the, this is a, a huge effort by the community here, and anybody's interested, please lend a hand because. Um, This is one positive measure we can take to counter the horrible attack on the Kurdish community and in, in the northern Syria as well to help mm. kids find a, a decent um, school. Yes. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, also, also of uh, some importance, uh, film, there will be a film screening taking place um, uh, oh, Sorry. Um, On uh, oh, oh, uh, on August oh, also on August uh, 11th, uh, on Thursday at at eight at eight a.m. there will be a protest to get the trucks off our streets. So the Western distributor, um, uh, sorry, uh, the Mar- Marbinong Truck Action Group, yep. uh, organizing an action at eight a.m. on the corner of Francis Street and Williamstone uh, Roads, uh, who wish to who supporting. Uh, Permanent truck bans on the Western Distributor uh, Road. So, best uh, trying to give us uh, the world's best practice filtration. Yes, yeah, so I get the trucks off the road, isn't yes. it? Oh, and so and very very important. Uh, the uh, Melbourne Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair of 2016 is taking place on Sunday, August 14th, mm-hmm. from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. over at the Brunswick Town Hall. Uh, on the corner of Sydney Road and Dawson Street in Brunswick. So they, I think uh, Anarchist Book Fair always turned out to be a very, uh, a very, uh, a very, f- a very fun-filled uh, uh, event. Lots of, <laughs> lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of, uh, lots of really good political ideas around. Lots of excellent uh, political literature on the, on the stalls. Mm-hmm. So, 
certainly give that, uh, uh, certainly pay a visit uh, to that. And uh, on Sunday, also coming coming up this Sunday, uh, August seventh, there will be a fundraiser to stand uh, stand against racism. Uh, a fantastic night of ent- entertainment, brought, brought, proudly brought to you by the Afro Down Under and Flemington Kensington Community Legal Center, propelled by the common initiative that we stand together against racism and all forms of discrimination. It's going to be at 7 p.m. on Sunday at Polyope. Pole Pole Bar and Kitchen at 267 Little Collins Street in the city. Ah, so come down and, uh, you know, have a, uh, have a feeling, listen to some wonderful, uh, Afro-descendant music. So take a stand against racism. Well, I think, I think we just, we, we can just, uh, keep going until we get, yes. uh, Ken, yes. until we get Uncle Ken on the line there. Yeah, there's another one I wanted to <laughs> announce is, um, an event organized by the Medical Association for the Prevention of War on the 13th of August, which is a Tuesday. It's an annual dinner. The guest speaker will be Ray Atchison, Director of Disarmament and Arms Control Group Reaching Critical Will. It's at 6.30 at the Courthouse Hotel. 86 to 90, Errol Street, North Melbourne. Um, so if you um, are in favour of preventing war, that's an event you don't want to miss. Yes. There's a film on um, Kurdistan too, The Women at War. Mm. Um, the Kurdish women fighters have been well known for their courage and bravery in defending uh, the Kurdish homeland, also establishing a democratic um, society within the confines of the um, Rojava um, canton, I suppose. And this, this film um, is directed by Mylene Soleil, produced by the German-French TV channel ARTE. It runs for less than an hour, and the screening will be followed by discussions, and that's being held at the Rosen Centre, Level 5407, Swanson Street, opposite RMIT, almost in the corner of Luttrell and Swanston. Uh, so for more, more information on that film, you can ring 9639-8622. And there are a couple of ongoing things. That's the occupation by the people of... Um, the uh, homeless people, Bendigo, Bendigo Street. Street. Bendigo Street yeah. Yet, uh, we cannot forget that. And given that housing is a huge factor um, that affects so many thousands of people, they deserve our support. So please um, uh, go down to the Abbotsford's uh, Bendigo Street um, occupation and give them your support if you yes. have time. And the brewery workers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so, oh, of course, South Crescent over in the Abbotsford, the CB brewery there. Picket happening from 6 a.m. To, uh, six, so to 6 p.m. Monday, Monday to Friday. There was actually an amazing show of solidarity yesterday over at the... Um, an amazing show of solidarity yesterday uh, from the... Um, or basically from the unions right across, right, right across the board over, over at the brewery. Oh, there was... Uh, we had like CFMU, MUA, and uh, I, I came down with a few, with a few NUW comrades. Uh, yeah, MW, ETU... Basically, the, the, the teachers came down next week. Next week, there's going to be next week. There's uh, the teachers and nurses will be coming down for a massive rally on Thursday. So next next Thursday, I, th- I think I should mention next Thursday at 3 p.m. over at the CB Brewery in Abbotsford, there will be another mass gathering of uh, trade unionists and community activists in support of the 55 striking workers of the CB Brewery. 
Uh, so yeah, come down and uh, uh, show, uh, show show them some love, solidarity, and, and support as they uh, as they've been locked out by the company. And uh, after after being after basically being being sacked and uh, rehired and offered their jobs back with a 65% wage cut. I just couldn't believe that. You know, how yeah. can anyone cut 65% of your wages? Uh, Outrageous. Sab Sab Miller. That's who can. No multinational that pays no tax in Australia. Pays no corporate tax in Australia. Exactly. Uh, now. Um, uh, one more thing. One, one, one more thing that, uh, that I think we haven't mentioned. Um, that I think we haven't mentioned uh, yet. Uh, the, but uh, that's actually from the comedy here, 3CR. The Boita presents three three songs for 3CR. A fabulous fundraiser for the 40th birthday year of local community broadcaster. That's uh, taking place on. August 13th at 8 p.m. on Saturday. So we got Body World Music Cafe, 1 Mark Street, North Fitzroy. So we've had, uh, we have Sister, Sister Zay, Prello, Serbian Women's Choir, Phoenix Choir, and so many more people come, uh, joining, uh, basically commemorating the 40th uh, birthday of Community Radio with a tremendous uh, in, uh, night of entertainment. You know, and cultural entertainment from across, uh, from across range of people, range of groups. Okay, I've got another announcement. I don't know if you made this one. It's a um, community meeting, transport and traffic across Brunswick. The speakers include John Stone from Melbourne University, Ian Woodcock from RMIT. It's at 6.30 at SiteWorks, which is at 8 Saxon Street, Brunswick. Enter from Dawson Street. It's organized by the Brunswick Residence Network, and if that's of concern to you, the traffic and transport and so on in the Brunswick area, please turn up for that um, meeting. And the number to ring is 0421-840-100. And there's a, a film as well. Uh, did you mention the Jaffrey film? Yes. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, but there's no, there's no, the, I'm not sure where that is, though. That's part of the Melbourne Film Festival. Oh, so, yes. so if people are interested, they can just uh, jump on the um, website and look for a Melbourne Film Festival. And Jeffrey is Melbourne International Film Festival. That's it. That's the one. Yep. Um, Melbourne International Film Festival, um, and it's about African African Australian man, mm. uh, and can be found in the middle of Melbourne's busiest intersection, standing silently and and um, challenging the beliefs of each. Of us passing by. Well, well, for listeners, you can actually um, say hello to him um, this today. Actually, he's there, usually here. Um, there protesting Friday, every yeah, every, Friday every Friday on the Flinders Friday. Street in, intersection. And so he holds this this, this placard, yeah, doesn't side, he? Stop, stop racism now. Yeah, he's <laughs> a one man protest. Actually, he's been do, uh, Jeffrey has been doing this for more than I think for almost two years now. Yes, actually. yes, he's been Indeed. very very determined and persistent. Okay. So that's all the announcements. If anybody wants any more details, you can call us before we leave the station for any further details or anything you've missed out on. So we'll move on to more news. There's heaps more news. There's um, the Turkey issue where uh, Turkey is attacking the Kurds. They've yeah. used they've used this um, so-called attack, the terrorist attacks in uh, Turkey, to now. Uh, hunt down anyone who
who protest against the Turkish government and Erdogan has been totally dictatorial as we all know mm-hmm. and the 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 uh, i guess cha- chasing down and arresting people um who say anything against Erdogan uh, almost like a campaign against opposition mm-hmm. in Turkey it's being transformed into a total dictatorship yep. Of well, it's, there's been some sort of debates about this, about um, about the whole situation with the coup, uh, whether Aragon actually planned it himself. Of course, that's getting a bit conspiratorial, but he is trying to take advantage of it to the best of his ability to actually um, increase his sort of power to basically um, repress democracy, even though the coup was actually against him. Coup, <laughs> the coup, yeah. Coup, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, now, we talked about the firefighters. Chile, workers win changes to pensions. Um, Janice, that's your area of work. Uh, what do you know about it? Uh, pensions, I'm not exactly <laughs> not sure. Not your age group, eh? <laughs> <laughs> how discriminatory is that? Janice, uh, yes. how could you? <laughs> well, that's actually uh, well, it's interesting because this is... Um, the well, this is actually a law that's been that the uh, well, the workers have actually been fighting for for a while uh, there. What we have to what we have to keep in mind is that a lot of these a lot of these laws, uh, particularly you know with with, with regards to pensions, education, and uh, workers' wages, a lot of these laws are actually can actually be traced back to the Pinochet era. That's right. And a lot of like a lot of them actually Long haven't history. been actually haven't been. Uh, uh, changed Repealed. that much? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so this is a this is a part. Of, uh, this, I feel like this is part of an ongoing. Uh, this is part of an ongoing. Um, dispute. Oh, one sec. Sorry. A fight, a fight back by workers, students, and other uh, a lot of other groups uh, in Chile. Sort of a collective fight back against. Uh, basically, trying still trying to reverse. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Pinochet policies, even uh, even as the. Uh, uh, you know the well the, the Chilean the Chilean government, which you know, despite being uh, uh, sort of of a centre left n- nature, unfortunately is is basically either outright doesn't do anything to either well it doesn't do anything or doesn't have the capacity to do anything to mm. repeal those laws or does or does so on the on the snail uh, in a snail's uh, pace, mm. so to speak. Now, there's also a um, interesting news from Portugal. There was a conference of um, the left bloc, so to speak, mm-hmm. and their title says, We are competing for left hegemony, which is good because, um, in a sense, they have, they, I guess they're following on the footsteps of the Spanish example where the left has united to fight against the yes. incumbents. And there, there are oh. lots of left, left groupings going on almost around yes. the world. People are looking at alternative governments, given mm-hmm. the atrocities going on, as Les said, there's change in the air. People are looking for, I mean, from Corbyn to even even yes. Sanders for the limited amount of changes he's been able to bring him out in the U.S. Um, it, there's yeah. a certain dynamic developing where people are questioning. Yes. said, what the hell is going on? Why are we suffering so much, you know? Mm-hmm. People yeah. are starting to think through these things. In Portugal, though, what's interesting is that uh, Portugal actually has a cent- uh, uh, what do you call strong what do you call? left. Uh, yes. Well, not just that, but also it currently has uh, the Socialist Party is in government in Portugal, and mm. it is supported by the left bloc, and it is supported by the Communist Party. So mm. Portugal actually has a, a like what, what some what some might call a broad left government, and Portugal has actually been reversing austerity in the last. Um, 
uh, throughout the last year, since the last elections have taken place, most of it due to the pressure that the left bloc, that parties like the left bloc, parties like the Communist Party, uh, have actually been exerting uh, as, part of, as part of their coalition deal. Um, the and this is actually you know Portugal is actually a model which the which Podemos and Spain have actually pointed out to in terms of uh, in terms of a possible you know anti-austerity government or a government of pro- of the left or, or or a progressive government. There is there are certainly a lot of limitations uh, with that with that approach and for, uh, unfortunately because uh, you know if uh, if the uh, Basically, if the ruling classes within those countries, like the ruling class in Portugal, if they, if the ruling class in combination in combination with the ruling class of Europe based in Brussels, if they choose, if if they uh, you know force the governments through you know through whatever economic means to carry out austerity, those governments will have to will 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 have to carry out austerity. We've seen that you know as as in the across case, Europe, yeah, and and in, in the case of Syriza. So in uh, so within those. Um, in those parameters, within those uh, political uh, parameters, they, you know, uh, the left will have to be faced with faced with faced with a choice to stick. Again, it's like stick Greece, with the, isn't it? Exactly, stick mm. with the with the with the ruling government, or you know, pull a, a pull out of it, and you know, take uh, take the fight to the streets, organize on the streets. Mm. Um, certainly, certainly, most uh, most listeners, well, most well, most of you would would say that we are in favor of the second option, hmm. but it is not quite easy to do so, um, in the circumstances like the European ones, unfortunately. Now, I, I talked about this um, changes to the border force laws, and we'll be interviewing somebody next week. But actually, there's going to be a court case as well. Um, at the level of the high courts, which is um, also an article in the Green Left Weekly, so people who want to know a few more details can um, read that article. But the interview will be interesting for next week. Um, There's also um, quite a um, good article that we reprinted here in the latest Green Left Weekly um, by, I think many people would know her, um, Mala Joa, Malai... How do you pronounce her name? Malai... Malalai Joya. Malai Joya. He's a well World we own Afghanistan feminists and and socialists, (laughs) um, and it's outspoken. She wrote an article about you know how the West exploits sort of terror victims um, in response to kind of like the terrible attacks that happened in Afghanistan and Kabul. and she basically, you know, makes the point that, um, that, you know, whenever terrorist attacks occur, dangerous right-wing demologues everywhere use up these um, tragic deaths to wi- um, whip up fear of foreigners <coughs> and Muslims in particular. <coughs> and particularly she refers to um, the terrifying example of Donald Trump. Um, and, of course, she also, she also um, says that, you know, she's not really comforted by, you know, what she describes as the crocodile tears of Hillary Clinton because she is herself um, uh, supported the Iraqi um, the war in Iraq and justify the long occupation of my own country, which is Afghanistan. And um, she makes a, a sort of a really good point um, that, you know, at the um, people worldwide, you know, must join um, our hands together. If we all let them divide us, we'll lose and no one will be safe and secure. Global solidarity is now more important than ever. And um, it's it's a de- you can read more in the Green Left Weekly. Um, it's titled "West Exploits um, Terror Victims," 
it's actually it's actually the front page. Uh, one, uh, it's mentioned in the front page of the green, latest Green Left Weekly. Okay, we are rapidly running out of time. Sorry, um, we are rapidly running out of time. Um, I just want to sum up. Um, thanks to Kobe Bunny, who is a young man standing in the council elections in Ballarat. Um, he explained why he's standing as a person who is from the LGBT. LGBTIQ community as well as a, a strong Aboriginal person. Um, we also spoke to Les Thomas from SOS Black Australia and someone who's trying to um, negotiate and bring together as many groups as possible to take action around the abuse of Aboriginal people and very much with elders in mind listening to the directions and the guidance of the elders. Um, a very serious musician, amazing musician actually, I love his voice. Um, and thanks to both our guests. Unfortunately, we couldn't get um, Uncle Ken on the phone. So we shall depart, and I'm going to play uh, a number by Kucha Edwards called Silence. So thanks for listening, and this is a goodbye from Lalita. Dennis. And Jacob, who's very silent at the moment.